How are companies increasing their distribution capacities? The logistics sector is poised to regain the jobs lost during the pandemic. And a look at micro-fulfillment strategies. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Routing and Scheduling delivers the most advanced transportation management systems to world-leading brands, helping to streamline daily operational processes, including route planning and proof of delivery. If you're ready to make savings of up to 30% and unlock the value of your transportation operation, Aptian can help. Visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, micro-fulfillment is one strategy that distributors are using to get close to their customers. But what exactly are the benefits of micro-fulfillment and how is it being deployed? To get those answers, I recently spoke with Melissa O'Keefe, Group Director, Product and Innovation E-Commerce at Ryder. Here is our conversation. Welcome, Melissa, to Logistics Matters. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Today we're talking about e-commerce micro-fulfillment. And uh, everybody seems to have their own twist on micro-fulfillment, and there's a lot of different ways that it's being defined. How do you define micro-fulfillment? Micro-fulfillment is a strategy to place smaller-scale warehouse facilities in more densely populated urban and suburban areas to get inventory closer to consumers in order to improve delivery times. And what does that mean for Ryder as far as the way that you actually begin to do micro-fulfillment for e-commerce? Well, if you think about the evolution of e-commerce, it started with, you know, with companies having one giant warehouse in the middle of the U.S. um, and everyone was happy with a five to seven day delivery time. The strategy then moved to regional fulfillment operations to improve speed, you know, maybe having um, a warehouse on each coast or in the middle of the country in the West Coast. Um, but now for some products, consumer expectations are for next day, same day, and even delivery within hours. And so micro-fulfillment is um, the strategy that's needed in order to achieve that level of service. Um, at Ryder, uh, we are looking to help our customers get their inventory closer to their customers so that they can improve delivery time in transit while also reducing delivery costs. Melissa, why do you think micro-fulfillment is growing in interest as a distribution strategy? I think it's in response to consumer demand. Um, I don't think that every single product from every single uh, you know, e-commerce seller will need to have a micro-fulfillment strategy, but there's certainly some products that uh, consumers will demand to have that same day, next day, or even delivery within hours or minutes of having placed an order. Uh, So that's the reason that e-commerce retailers are seeking micro-fulfillment strategies is to meet their customers' expectations. Of course, when you decentralize like that, you increase the number of locations, 
And it typically means that you have to also increase labor in a very tight labor market right now. Does that mean that automation will be there? And is automation always sort of necessary to do micro-fulfillment? The current labor market in the U.S. has definitely been a challenge. Um, E-commerce fulfillment in general takes a lot of labor, uh, three to five times more labor than you might see in some of the more traditional uh, B2B or retail type fulfillment uh, operations. So having automation in place to help reduce dependency on labor is a key strategy for uh, e-commerce fulfillment providers. Uh, and micro-fulfillment providers. I do think that having automation in place will be a key component to address the labor challenges that we're seeing. What kind of automation is Ryder looking at for their micro-fulfillment sites? Um, We're evaluating or utilizing both um, robotics, so AMR-type robotics, um, as well as goods-to-person robotics to assist with our automation needs for e-commerce and micro-fulfillment operations. Of course, trying to get close to the customer means that a lot of these micro-fulfillment facilities need to be built in urban areas. So how does micro-fulfillment solve those challenges of distributing in urban locations? So micro-fulfillment centers are largely a spoke in a hub-and-spoke type network for managing uh, inventory. Uh, In general, large warehouses are not embedded in urban and suburban population centers. So these micro-fulfillment centers are often much smaller. uh, Therefore, they can't hold a lot of inventory. So they have to be located near consumers, but also replenished uh, frequently from regional hubs in order to maintain inventory needed to service the consumers. You mentioned about the hub-and-spoke system of of micro-fulfillment or distribution in general. Um, what kind of facility designs qualify as micro-fulfillment centers? Are they basically just pass-through facilities where they're doing a lot of cross-stocking or are they actually doing a lot of order fulfillment within these micro-fulfillment centers? I, there's, you know, there's a couple of different strategies. Some are doing cross-stocking from somewhere that's been um, picked maybe nearby. Um, but a lot of them are holding inventory and they're being picked right there in the local micro-fulfillment center. So there's a couple of different strategies. It'll depend upon the um, amount of SKUs that need to be supported, the types of goods that are being transported. I don't think there's any one magic bullet. There's a variety of opportunities out there depending on the needs of each retailer. Speaking of each retailer, which kinds of industries do you see or the type of products that are mostly ripe for needing micro-fulfillment? Certainly, you know, food and beverage. Um, I think health and beauty has um, a good niche. Um, It gets more complicated with uh, the types of products that have a very wide SKU set because of the space constraints needed for micro-fulfillment. It'll be difficult to have, for example, all the size and color combinations you might need for an apparel retailer. Um, That's not to say that you wouldn't have some products um, that are available, but maybe not the entire assortment, Um, particularly for online-only retailers who don't have maybe brick-and-mortar stores that can also serve as uh, a type of micro-fulfillment center. And finally, what what are your projections for growth for micro-fulfillment within your industry as a 3PL? 
Uh, do you see that this is something that's going to continue to grow tremendously over the coming years? I do think we'll see um, more micro-fulfillment. Um, I think a lot of companies are testing the waters now to see what it yields in terms of um, benefits to the consumer and um, how, it, you know, I think many companies are seeing by offering same day, next day delivery, they're able to get a higher conversion rate. Um, it gives them a leg up against competition for more commodity type items. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the lifetime value of a customer, um, early reports are saying that the lifetime value of a customer is increased for those who are utilizing micro-fulfillment. But I do think time will tell. We'll need to measure the results because it's relatively new to see the benefits, weigh that against the costs, and determine what is the best strategy for micro-fulfillment for each individual retailer. Thank you, Melissa. We really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. We've been talking with Melissa O'Keefe, the Group Director of Product and Innovation E-Commerce for Ryder. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you've written a couple of stories recently on how logistics companies are increasing their warehousing and fulfillment capacities. What are they doing? Yeah, that's right, Dave. So um, we've reported quite a bit this past year about the growing demand for logistics real estate, um, warehouses, distribution centers, fulfillment centers, and it's a trend driven largely by the accelerating growth of e-commerce. We've seen a lot of data on this from real estate firms, consulting groups, and industry associations. Um, and this week, there were quite a few announcements that reinforced the trend and really served as a reminder of how both logistics services providers and retailers have been crunched for space and are, are really working to expand their physical footprints. One of the uh, big announcements came from cold storage giant Lineage Logistics, um, and they announced plans to break ground on a $62 million facility near the port of Savannah. This facility will handle things like fresh produce and perishable imports, primarily moving products across the Southeast. Lineage also said um, at the same time that it opened the first phase of another facility adjacent to the Port of Savannah, and this is a temperature-controlled warehouse that handles imports and exports of poultry and similar products. Combined, these two facilities expand Lineage's presence in the Georgia market by more than 500,000 square feet of capacity. Separately, FedEx Express said this week that it completed an expansion project at Miami International Airport. This project nearly doubles um, its main sort facility and adds the largest cold chain facility to the FedEx global network. This is a $72 million project that company leaders say uh, will accommodate growing demand for transportation of perishables such as flowers and food, as well as pharmaceuticals and therapeutics. So just a couple of big examples there. Uh, Victoria, you also mentioned news on the retail side. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yes, absolutely. So, and this really um, uh, aligns closely with the accelerating uh, e-commerce demand I mentioned. So Walmart is expanding its supply chain operations in direct response to growing online orders. The company plans to open first of its kind fulfillment centers for online orders in both Salt Lake City and suburban Nashville. Both centers will support the retailers growing e-com business, which has increased 87% over the past two years, and that's based on its most re recent fiscal third quarter results. So fiscal third quarter this year was 87% um, higher than two years um, ago. In Salt Lake, they plan to build a more than a million square foot fulfillment center that'll open next summer. 
Um, and in Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, they will open a 925,000 square foot fulfillment center next fall. Walmart said both facilities will feature high-tech automation, of course, which is another trend we're seeing, uh, including things like autonomous robots. Walmart really emphasized that these centers are designed specifically to handle online orders for fast shipment, you know, as soon as next day. Um, so these are e-commerce fulfillment centers that are different from their traditional distribution centers, uh, which receive store and ship products to Walmart store shelves. So um, a new concept for them that should be up and running next year. Yeah, well, those are very interesting and innovative. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week that the logistics industry is set to get back to the employment levels it had before the pandemic started. Can you give us the details? Yeah, that we have got some more information on that. Um, obviously, one of the top concerns for many logistics companies over the past year has been the tight labor market. Uh, that was true both during the pandemic, actually before the pandemic as well. There are very low uh, unemployment rates. Um, and then heading into the pandemic when many workers were staying home either by choice or because they were sick, of course. And also during the recovery, um, when fewer of those workers have ended up returning to the job pool than had been working before COVID began. Uh, since then, the country's economic rebound has been impressive, but a labor shortage is one factor that gives some economists pause about uh, you know, how long that can continue. Uh, but this week we saw a few studies that showed that the transportation and warehousing sectors in particular will probably recover to pre-pandemic labor levels within the coming year, that is during 2022. But several other sectors may not be so lucky. So some reasons that the logistics sector particularly is on pace to bounce back is that consumers have just been shopping, shopping. Uh, they've been taking advantage of historically low interest rates and using their accumulated savings. Uh, it's driven a lot of the online shopping, the e-commerce that we've been reporting about. And of course, that drives a really hot market for couriers, warehousing, fulfillment, uh, and that creates new jobs and wages necessary to pull the workers back into the workforce. Um, so that trend should continue as long as consumers keep on shopping, uh, according to a analysis from ThinkY, which is a vendor of uh, HR and talent acquisition solutions. And looking at a couple sources um, outside of them, uh, indeed, shopping is supposed to stay hot. So the National Retail Federation, NRF, said this week that retail sales continued to grow in November. Uh, so the 2021 holiday season right now is on the home stretch for record spending, uh, despite worries like inflation, supply chain disruption, of course, and the rise of the Omicron variant. Um, another source that said a similar conclusion is Salesforce. Uh, they make enterprise software used by a whole lot of those retailers, and they measure the traffic on their platforms. And uh, they said it shows that consumers around the globe are either maintaining or increasing their early December spending compared with last year. So uh, it, it looks like those factors are set to continue. Yeah, well, that certainly sounds encouraging for the logistics sector. But you found that the recovery won't go as smoothly for some other businesses? Exactly right. Yeah. And ThinkY gave us a, a few reasons, four reasons, um, which are some labor trends that they see coming in 2022. Uh, so first, as mentioned, job growth could be hindered by tight labor supply. So even if logistics is growing, uh, that doesn't mean that there are enough workers for every sector. Second, although the overall economy is on track to add uh, an estimated 3.6 million jobs in 2022, the hiring has been uneven across different industries. 
Uh, third is turbulence. Um, so looking at it in a geographic way, some of the largest markets in the country were hit particularly hard by pandemic job losses, um, mostly the, the city centers in 2020. They were slower to regain them in 2021. Uh, they're now playing catch up in 2022, looking forward. Uh, and the fourth is diversity. So to meet some growing diversity goals, employers may have to search for uh, talent in a broader geographic region. So when you add those different factors up, the result is that some sectors uh, will probably have a longer climb back to normal. Uh, so for example, a couple of other businesses that ThinkY thinks will recover quickly during 2022 are construction, education and health, and professional and business services. But they think it'll take longer for the manufacturing industry, 2023, uh, followed in 2024 by government and information sectors. And the group said that the slowest to recover, uh, maybe not until 2025, could be leisure and hospitality and mining and logging. So if these forecasts are correct, um, you can certainly see we'll be tracking the results of the pandemic and the labor market around it for a long time to come. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. Seems like it may be a long time for some of those other industries. Thanks, Ben. Yep. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from the news this week. Happy to be here. Yes, you're welcome, Dave. And again, our thanks to Melissa O'Keefe from Ryder for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our new 11-part limited podcast series from CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly on the top 10 supply chain threats. This week, we address rising costs. And in following weeks, we'll devote segments to other critical threats to our current supply chains. You can search for your favorite podcast platform for the top 10 supply chain threats to subscribe and also to listen to past episodes. And a reminder, the Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian routing and scheduling supports logistics and delivery fulfillment operations with the tools needed to optimize resources, automate route planning and proof of delivery processes, and drive savings of up to 30%. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service, reduce costs, and drive growth. Aptian routing and scheduling can help. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will take a look at supply chain predictions for 2022. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.